0: As I mentioned uh, at the beginning this morning, we are happy to have with us today uh, Pastor Tom's family. Uh, For those of you who aren't aware, after Pastor Tom left ministering here, he went to lead a mission organization and uh, tragically passed away uh, during that time of service. And uh, so uh, we certainly want to remember him and his ministry here. Um, We have a lot to be thankful for. Pastor Tom's ministry. Um, he, after moving here in October of uh, 1986 from Phoenix, New York, uh, after pastoring a church up there, uh, this was, by the way, the, your family uh, area, so coming back to this area, uh, but yet to pastor at this church, the church was still meeting at the old facility. You got a picture, yeah, right there. And um, uh, so after he came, uh, the whole building process began, and so that's always a, a challenge to a pastor, and certainly starting out. But uh, he was here for 16 years, and I, I want to share some thoughts here that, uh, that Brian Nickel has, uh, has written for us. He says, in truth, God used Pastor Tom to bring community into a modern model of how to do church bringing ideas for new and innovative ministries. He had a great commitment to evangelism and missions. His zeal for missions and his willingness to go on short-term trips to the mission field had a tremendous impact on our support of missions. Pastor Tom had many wonderful pastoral qualities, including vision, a great dedication to God's word, bold leadership, and talented administration. These are a rare combination. In short, he had a profound impact on our church. We were deeply saddened at his passing, and we will always owe him a debt of gratitude. We will always hold the Weber family in our hearts. Well, really pleased today to have Pastor Tom's wife, Karen, here, and and son, Jeremy. Uh, Jamie, the daughter, wasn't able to be here today. But uh, I'm going to ask Karen and Jeremy to come on up. And I uh, have a few questions for them uh, to share what, uh, what they remember, really, from being here at Community. So I'll give you the mic. You can pass it back and forth as needed. All right. Yeah. So first question is, uh, what are your favorite memories here at Community?
1: I think one of the favorite memories is our mission trips, like especially to Romania. Mm. It uh, just kind of bonds you together, and when you're on the mission field and you see the work firsthand, um, there's nothing like that. Um, and I have to say, my favorite memory of a person is Elda Jones. She was such a godly woman, and I still make her peanut butter aches. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that works. Did you bring any along? I just made an ace, I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay. But
1: just the fellowship that we had and the closeness that we had a church family, it was...
2: Fantastic. Jeremy? So I will definitely echo the peanut butter eggs, because I'm still a recipient of those eggs, even though I don't live here, so that's, that's always nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would certainly echo the comments, too, about the people. I mean, that's certainly, when I look back, that's, you know, so many of you I've, I've met this morning again, and I, like I told you, you know, 20 years have gone by, 23 years since I've left. Um, And went off to to college and and moved away. But certainly the faces and and the relationships and the memories are still there. So, you know, very thankful for that. The other thing for me, too, is this this new building. Um, I was part of that process coming in as a young kid. But being baptized actually right there. So that would be certainly one of my highlights.
0: Special. Great. Second question. um, How did you see the Lord work in the church and in your lives during your time here at Community?
2: Go first, okay, so you know, when I moved here, when we moved here, I was I think eight years old. Um, so a little bit different answer coming from me being eight growing up in the church, and certainly understanding, you know, how did the word look? I mean, for me, it shaped me, right? It made me who I am today as a result of hearing my dad speak, however, you take that week in and week out, but also, the, obviously, as I said, the relationships and the other people that are in this room. That certainly poured into my life so that that's really what shaped me into who I am today Um, and I forget the other part of that question I think it was uh, well
0: you know also how you saw the Lord work in the church sure So I
2: mean I I do remember even being young being at the old building um, which was nowhere near this size but just to see we move into a new building obviously that excites people but just to see how much the ministry grew Mm. um, and and how we filled this place and just even from a youth perspective how large that youth ministry got, Um, and like my mom said, the missions trips and just growing and reaching out beyond Carlisle to reach other parts of the area as well as, you know, around the world on those mission trips.
0: Erin, you have anything to share on that? Yeah.
1: Well, first of all, I sent Jamie the list of questions just so that she knew. Oh, yeah. Right. I wasn't expecting her to answer, but she... Last night, she said, I sent you answers. I said, oh, good, because I I didn't really expect you to (laughs) answer. But her uh, answer to the memories is the church-wide gatherings, like heading out to a farm where there was food and games and hay rides and trap shoots, Uh, vacation Bible school, mission trips. She mentioned Mexico and Ecuador. And I didn't even remember Ecuador, but uh, (laughs) that's been a while ago. And then the youth group trips and events. And then uh, the second question, she says she was thankful for godly adults and leaders that encouraged me in my walk with the Lord. Uh, she mentioned Sue Ferrer. I don't know if you, if you knew the Ferrer's mm. or not, she said, was one example. Wonderful. Um, I did make some notes. Let me go back there. <laughs> you know, when you get older, your mind just forgets. So. Yeah, um, but you're up
0: to speed. You got the phone thing going on. <laughs> it's good. <yeah. laughs> We're lost without that, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, um, like Jeremy said, you know, we first met in the, the building in town, the little building, and then just the uh, building, this building, and seeing it grow. And
0: I ask you, to keep the mic up to you because they can't hear you. Seeing it grow, people
1: yeah. uh, coming, um, people growing, um, families. It was, yeah.
0: Mm. Praise the Lord.
1: And I have to say, whenever you get older, you forget some of the those things, but you have the good memories you know, of the people and the good times here that you remember.
0: Glad you do. That's great. Okay, one other question. Um, this is kind of the other side of the coin, all right? What were some challenges that you faced while here, and how did the Lord use that in your life?
1: I was trying to think of challenges. I, if Tom were here, he could tell you more about that than I could. Yeah, he
0: probably would tell a lot. That's right. But, uh, well, He might not tell us, but it'll be a lot there, I'm sure, yeah. I
1: mean... <laughs> In any church, you have those situations that are challenges. But I think as a body we we held together, um, the Lord took care of those things. Mm. And, you know, we all grew from it. And we all um, grew together, I think, through those things. You have any,
2: challenges?
0: any challenges that you remember?
2: Yes, yeah, so I, I think the challenges, from my point of view, coming as, a, like I said, a, a young kid growing up, middle school years, high school years, right? It's the same challenges that we all face, which is... Is it my faith? Is it my parents' faith? Mm. And so it's, it's really making it your own. And then from there, instilling that in your own kids as, as you have them. So I think for me, that's the challenge. It was really just, you know, sitting here, being part of it, being poured into by other people. But once you get out of here and you leave, then is that, you know, becoming your faith and understanding, you know, everything that was taught to you and really applying it in your life. So for me, that was probably the biggest challenge from my point of view. Um, I won't speak to my parents and the challenges that they face. Obviously, I saw those, but like my mom said, that's just the nature of being a pastor. And yeah. whether it was 20 years ago or if it's today, it's the same challenges.
0: Well, great. We're so happy you're here. And it's just a great reminder of those special 16 years. Uh, we're still benefiting from that today. And I want to have prayer for them and uh, just uh, thanking God as well. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the Webers being here today. And just, Lord, uh, for your plan and your will that uh, they've been a part of and that relates to community Christian fellowship. And I thank you for uh, the years of, of service and uh, serving you here uh, and the impact that that has had on this church. I, I pray for them as a family, Lord, as I'm sure they continue to mourn and grieve the loss of uh, Tom as we do as well. But Lord, thank you also that uh, that which he preached and lived uh, is very real to him today in the presence of Jesus, and uh, Lord, we look forward to the day when we'll all be together there again as well. Bless the family, Lord. We thank you for them being here, and uh, pray that it will continue to be a great day for you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Yeah, good to have you here. <laughs> can you... Yeah, right, amen. I'll take the mic, now. Can, can you tell he's Pastor Tom's son? Just a little bit, all right. <laughs> I, uh, I actually did meet uh, Pastor Tom um, one time uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, kind of at the end of his ministry time here. I, I actually was, <laughs> was trying to get support as a missionary, and so um, I didn't get any. <laughs> but, but I had a great visit with him, and it was interesting how we connected Um, because at that time, when we were talking, he was wrestling really with the whole concept of uh, going to lead a mission organization, which I had left the church to do. So we we had a lot in common, and and it was a good visit. So it's interesting how the Lord works. I never thought I'd be standing here today, you know, and God puts it all together. Well, we're continuing in our um, Hebrew study, and uh, we're getting to chapter 7 today. Chapter 7, where we... uh, re-enter the uh, author of Hebrews' talk to the people that he's writing to, the Jews, the Jewish Christians in Rome, uh, and he's talking about Melchizedek, the high priest, Melchizedek, and that Jesus is in the order or the line of Melchizedek. If you recall back in chapter 5, he began to get into that, and then in 6 he said, well, we need to kind of pause here because (laughs) He has some strong words about the people. I, I just feel like you're spiritually dull and not listening. <laughs> you know, words you always want to hear, right? Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, but uh, basically he was saying to them in general, uh, you are basically hanging back into your Jewish beliefs and not really coming in to the fullness of living and knowing Christ. And so basically, chapter six was a lot of warnings and a lot of direction about making sure that you're really about living for Jesus and that he's in your life and that that's what matters and and that you don't fall away from that which you've heard, but that you really accept that which you've heard and you know him personally and walk with him. Of course, last week we had the encouraging passage that talks about the security of the believer. You know, that if you have. Come to Christ, you know, and he's telling these people, hey, you're on the right track, you know, and 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 this and you can be secure in the fact that God seals it with his spirit and and you're his and that he holds you. And so we come to this passage in chapter seven today, where he goes back to talking about the significance of Melchizedek and, and a reminder that the whole book of Hebrews, of course, is really about Jesus. And it really is about the fact that Jesus is above everyone, everything. (laughs) He he is King of kings and Lord of lords, and and there's no hope for anyone as far as our spiritual destination and life at all as far as true, eternal, abundant life without Christ. He's the only way, all right? There's one way. He's it. And and so he continues in that vein as we look here about Melchizedek because it's pointing to the significance of Jesus and who he is. So uh, let's read the passage, uh, verses 1 to 10. I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God most high. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice and king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Consider consider then how how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now, the law of Moses required that the priests who are descendants of Levi must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel, who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham, and Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. The priests who collect tithes are men who die, so Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told that he lives on. In addition, we might even say that these Levites, the ones who collect the tithe, paid a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. Now, just a reminder that all of this comes out basically of the last verse of chapter 6, where we're told that Jesus has become the eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So, even though he's talking certainly very specifically about Melchizedek here, it's all pointing to the significance of who he is if Jesus is the high priest in his order. And we'll get to more of that in just a moment. But,. Um, in this passage, we certainly learn more about this Melchizedek. But I got to tell you, even after looking at it all week and thinking about it, there's a lot of things we don't know. All right? You ever find that when you read the Bible? All right? You, You get a lot of things from it, right? God teaches you. But you also realize that there's a lot of things you don't know. Now, one of the things that we need to do with that, of course, is to realize this is the Word of God, right? This is inspired by the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit lives in you, and God will continue to teach you and form you and use His Word that you might become all that He has intended for you to be, becoming more like Christ. And so we do that with confidence. And so when we don't get all the answers, when we don't have it all figured out, one of the things we need to remember is that God has told us what we need to know. He hasn't told us everything we could know. And by the way, the fact that we are temporal human beings and not God— We can't understand all of the things that he probably could tell us if he told us everything. So what we have, we need to take from what we have and not get upset and say, well, I don't get it all. And so, hey, you might not get it all, but you will get what you need as you have an open spirit to God as he speaks to you through his word. The key is not necessarily, although I want you to listen to me, but not listening to the pastor, okay? But, but listening to the Spirit of God as he speaks through the Word of God. And by the way, the Spirit of God will never say anything that's outside of the Word of God, all right? So if somebody's telling you the Spirit said something <laughs> and it doesn't fit with the Word of God, you know what to do with that, right? Okay. All right. But, um, but certainly, we need to allow the Word of God to touch us. So let's take a look at what we do find here clearly told us in this passage, it tells us some things about Melchizedek. It says that he is a king, right? He's a high priest, but he's also king. As a matter of fact, he gives him a couple of names as king, right? He's the king of Salem. Salem, of course, is, comes from the Greek. I mean, the Hebrew word shalom, okay, and, and uh, means peace or or uh, wholeness, okay. And, and probably the king of Salem would mean that he was well certainly king of peace as we said that means peace but 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 the king of jerusalem <laughs> okay the city of god's peace all right the dwelling place there now he was a king of justice we're told some translations say king of righteousness okay and of course the whole idea of righteousness and justice comes from a perspective that this is a godly priest he is he is speaking for god All right? That's what the priest was all about, right? The priest was speaking for God. He was representing the people to God. He was taking the sacrifices for their sins to God. So the priest was the mediator, and he represented God to the people. Now, as he was the king of justice or the king of righteousness, uh, true justice and righteousness are only found in God himself. And so he represents a high priest who is functioning as an appropriate representative of God. Now, Jesus, obviously, God himself, he's in this line. He is the king of righteousness and justice. He's not just a high priest, but he too is a king. And he will come as king and reign forever. He will judge the living and the dead. And we're told that as the king of Salem or king of peace, that uh, in this one verse, we're told also that he is the priest of God most high. He was a unique priest in that he was king. Now, as as I mentioned, that wasn't normal. In the Aaronic priesthood, in the line of Levi, uh, the Levitical priests were not allowed to also be king, okay? And kings were not to function as priests. Matter of fact, one of the things that King Saul did that resulted in his fall was to act as priest one time when the priest didn't show up on time. might remember that story. Okay, it wasn't a good thing. And he realized God's judgment as a result. The order of Melchizedek is significant for Jesus, the Messiah, because he is both high priest offering the blood sacrifice for sins, and he is the king of kings. And he is our peace because through Christ, we have peace with God. Our sins have been paid for, Uh, We have a relationship with God through what he has done, but he also brings us the peace of God into our lives on a daily basis. True rest from striving, knowing forgiveness, and a loving relationship with God our Father comes through Jesus Christ. Now verse 3 in this passage tells us about Melchizedek that there was no record of any ancestors and no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Now, some have suggested <laughs> from this verse that, that Melchizedek was an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Some have said he was an angel. I don't think those, either of those are accurate. I, I know that the Jesus part isn't because it says in the passage that he resembled the Son of God. It doesn't say he was the Son of God. All right, so he was an, a, a person that was different than the Levitical priesthood, and he was representing that which Jesus would completely fulfill. The idea that it says here that we have no record, right, no record of any ancestors and no beginning or end to his life is significant. I mean, throughout the Bible, we certainly see that there's a lot of record keeping when it comes to family genealogy, right? When you come to the New Testament and we begin to read about the coming of Jesus, there's two genealogies given, right? One in Matthew, one in Luke. All right. You go to the Old Testament. You know, when you're reading through the Bible in a year, you ever get to those begat parts? Man alive. Why am I trying to get through this in a year? Okay. All right. It's just hard, right? Begat, begat, begat. Who's related to who? Who's related to who? All very significant. God is showing in his word the significance of the connection with people that leads, basically all of it leads to Jesus. But there's a significance in the culture, particularly the Hebrew culture, of knowing who you're connected to. We're kind of getting back into that more, aren't we? What's that thing online you sign up for and find out who you really belong to? Ancestry.com. Yeah, we, we did some of that stuff. Yeah, okay. We found out some people we didn't want to be related to. No, no, no. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, that's another side of it. All right. <laughs> but, but, but here, this says there's no record. Okay. Now, it really isn't saying that he didn't have any parents. You may say, well, it kind of looks like that, Pastor. Well, yeah, it sort of looks like that. But this was a man. He got here by parents. Okay. Even Jesus, right, had a human mother, certainly was conceived by the Holy Spirit but the process of him being here, this Melchizedek, who's not God, all right? He's a, he's a human being, but, but there's no record of his parents. And there's significance in that, as it shows in this passage, because it's pointing to the fact that Jesus is the eternal priest. And so it looks like Melchizedek has no beginning and end. It looks like this priesthood which, by the way, is true, is very different than the Levitical priesthood, which was all about being related to somebody. You had to be a part of the ironic Aaron, okay, heritage. You had to be in that family line, or you could not be a Levitical priest. You, 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 couldn't, you couldn't adopt your way in. I mean, it had to be It had to be a blood connection. All right. Well, Jesus is not from that line. Did you know that? Jesus is from the line of Judah. (laughs) Well, it appears that maybe he couldn't be the priest. Well, no. God says, this is my priest. This is the way I do it. I set that up to show you that a human priesthood is not sufficient to take care of your deepest needs. How many times did the priest, I mean, they had to keep doing it, right, as far as the sacrifices. It wasn't like once and done. That was the wonder, and Hebrews will get into this deeper, about the Jesus sacrifice once and done, complete you don 't have to have it done again and again all right doesn 't say anything about Melchizedek and doing sacrifices, but he was a high priest in god 's order, but it was different. It was before, long before the Levitical priesthood all right so he 's setting the stage for the Messiah. the Messiah comes through this line: the Messiah comes in this way: the Messiah is eternal the Messiah is forever no beginning no end the messiah is eternal that's pretty important isn't it i mean if you're putting your faith in a levitical priest that dies and his sacrifice really doesn't take care of your sin condition eternally i would say you're still in a bad place But if you put your faith in the ultimate high priest who is eternal, whose sacrifice paid for it all, it's once and done, and you can trust him to still be alive and taking care of you in the heavenlies like we talked about last week, good place to be. Yeah. All right. So that's what the author is pointing out. And uh, so the lack of record of the things of his heritage and all uh, does not mean that he himself was God but that he was pointing to Jesus, a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Now, I know you've been excitedly awaiting me to make the shift here to the point of talking about Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek, right? You've all been waiting for the pastor to jump into this idea of giving and tithing, I warned you that I do this at least once a quarter, so this is today, all right? All right, but it's right here. It's here in the passage, right? I'm not making this up, so we can't ignore it. Uh, very interesting teaching in this passage about giving, about tithing. When, when you get to the Levitical process of tithing, as the writer of Hebrews addresses here, it, it was a system of rules, Okay? All of the people were expected to give a tithe to the Levitical priests who then took a portion of that tithe and used that for their own living. It supported the priests, okay? Kind of like today, you're saying, Pastor, yeah, we know, we give, and then you get a portion of it. That's how you live. Okay, right. All right, idea. But the rest of it used for the work of the ministry and then things that were going on. Well, that was the Levitical system, and it really was It wasn't called a tax, but it was like that, all right? 10%. That's a tithe, right? 10%. Okay. Um, And so that was the system. By the way, that wasn't in place yet, right, with Melchizedek and Abraham. Abraham had no idea about the Mosaic law. Why is that? (laughs) He was long before it. Moses wasn't around yet. Okay? So this is before all of that. And so what we find here is Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek, And it's so unclear about all of the dynamics of this. I mean, did Abraham know who Melchizedek was before this happened? It doesn't say. But it does say that Melchizedek showed up right after Abraham won this amazing battle. Now, last summer we were going through Abraham's life. And uh, you probably don't remember that sermon. I probably don't either. But okay, I, had, I, I did go back to it. All right. <laughs> all right. But the story, of course, as it gives here, in, in, uh clearly again in this passage in chapter seven, is that there was a great battle against the kings. Uh, the Part of the story was that Lot, the nephew, had been captured. All right. So Abraham was all about the family connection and freeing his nephew, Lot. And in the midst of it, he gathered a group of, I think it was 350 uh, soldiers and they went out, which was very significant because they were outnumbered. But God blessed his efforts and they won a great victory. And so Melchizedek shows up right at the time when Abraham has had the victory and he's got all these spoils from battle. It was like, I think, four or five kings he over, overcame. So it was a lot of spoils from the battle. All right. And, and so it says that Melchizedek blessed him, right? He met him and blessed him. And it seems like immediate as far as the author here is writing, because it says in the next verse, then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. A tenth of all the spoils. Huh. Very fascinating to me. There wasn't a law It wasn't like Abraham said, okay, well, this is is what I should do because uh, God has made that clear in some kind of Levitical priest. No, it wasn't even there. This was well before that, and it's an immediate response to his blessing. Abraham seemed to realize that this truly was a king of righteousness, (laughs) a king of peace, a high priest that was from God, And he realized that the blessing that was being given was a blessing from God, and his immediate response was to take 10% of all the spoils and give it to the priest. Not because of law, but because of blessing. He responded to blessing. You know, I really think this is the basis of our giving. I think we get caught up sometimes in the Levitical practices. We become like the Jews in Rome who are Christians that the writer is writing to. And we kind of find ourselves maybe back in the rules idea. All right. Well, did you give your tithe? Well, you know, it's good. I I think it's good to give a tithe. I think it's a basic principle. But you know, the scriptural basis of giving doesn't have to do with a certain number. It has to do with a heart response, okay? That's really what it's about. Now, I really think that 10% is a good gauge. (laughs) You know, if you're kind of piddling along in your giving, you're not responding too much. (laughs) You know, you're not really realizing the depth of God's blessing and wanting to respond to what he's done. You know, if you're holding back, I don't think you're getting it. You hear where I'm coming from? Yeah. Because real generosity, real giving to the Lord as He's blessed us, comes from the heart and an intentional desire to really honor Him with what He has given. And you do realize, right, that everything you own is from God? Did you, did you know that? Some people say, well, 10% belongs to God. Well, no, 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 <laughs> no. 100% of what you got really is God's. And by his graciousness, he really isn't demanding anything from you. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm going to take you to some New Testament passages in just a little bit. But he's not demanding anything from you except your life. <laughs> and when you give him your life, what does he give you back? Amen. Everything, eternal life, abundant life. He supplies your needs. He takes care of you. You know, I have found, but I still wrestle with it, by the way. I have my human experience going on in here, and I get insecure and I try to wrestle with making sure I'm okay and I got enough and all of that type of thing. But at the end of the day, I can tell you throughout my life that when I really have responded to blessing, <laughs> when I really have freed up this wallet, wherever it is, okay, and I've given freely to the Lord that he has been faithful. David said that he lived his whole life and he never saw the righteous forsaken. He never saw their children begging for bread. Now, sometimes it gets a little tight. Sometimes life is difficult. This is not a a message on the fact that if you give, you're going to be rich, (laughs) okay? There's a lot of people in this world. I mean, we're the rich of the world, by the way, as we sit here today, but there's a lot of people in this world who are very poor, but very rich. And they're giving out of their response to God's blessing, and the Lord is taking care of them. Those mission trips that many of you went on, one of the things god does when we do those things is we begin to realize what's going on in the rest of the world and how blessed we really are but how responsible we really are too that that you know those who much is given much is required we're coming to a month next month where we'll celebrate missions we, we we've been trying to figure out i don't think we're going to come up with a number but we've been trying to figure out how much money this church has given to missions over the last 100 years we we don't have all the records So whatever we tell you will be a guess. I'll just let you know that up front. Uh, We're working on it. But but you know what? It's not a matter of a number, is it? It's a matter of a gift. It's a matter of giving freely. Your lives, your money, and God takes it and uses it, and it's beyond what we could ever imagine. Someday in heaven, we're going to be celebrating. It's never going to end because all the stuff that happened as a result of responding in faith, responding to God's blessing, is going to be enjoyed by the faithful. <laughs> we get a little glimpse here and now and then, right? We, we, we see sometimes, wow, that, that happened, this happened, but it's just a really minute part of what God's doing. It's so much greater. He's at work. But think about Abraham responding to Melchizedek, just giving him, out of the desire of his heart, 10% of all of the spoils Why would he do that? Well, he gave it because he recognized, it says, the greatness of Melchizedek. If Abraham responded to the godliness and greatness of Melchizedek in such a dynamic way, how should we respond to the greatness of Jesus, who is in the line of and represented by Melchizedek, but is far, far beyond him. (laughs) You know, as you get to know Jesus, as you see him come in your life and bless you, the natural response is to be one of generosity. And if that's not there, you need to ask the Lord to help you. We all do, by the way. Giving, generosity, is to be an element, a sign, a definite sign of someone who is redeemed. People who are generous are people I like to be around. Not because they might give me some money, although sometimes that's fun. But because they're open, generous, friendly people. People who are tight usually show it in their personality. And they're not always fun to be with. You got a tight person in your family, you probably want to give them a kick once in a while, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, some of your wives are saying, My husband needs to loosen up. Some of your men are saying, "My wife needs." I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's a challenge because life is hard, and it takes money to live, and and all of those things. And when we're challenged to give, it's like, man, I just don't have that. I get it, but I also know when we step out in faith that the Lord does amazing things. It's the right thing to do. That's all I'm saying. When we were, uh, you know, we're going to be married 50 years this week. Now, there's two reasons that we will be married 50 years this week. One of them is the Lord has been good to us, and our commitment to Him is real. We haven't always done it right, but I remember I was thinking this week, I'm looking at my wife when I say this. I was thinking this week, at our wedding reception, um, I played the flugelhorn, and Betty played the piano, and we played, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. My kids think it's weird that we played at our reception, you know. They, they might think it weird, but then when they were in our house for coming in to celebrate in July, they said, Dad! mom, can't you play one of those songs you used to play? I said, you don't want to hear that. Oh, yeah, we do. So it was kind of fun. We did that. But you know, I was thinking just this week about that song and about the meaning of it and the fact of it that 50 years he has. He has led us like a shepherd. Sometimes he's had to poke us. Yeah, or grab us by the neck even shear off some things. But he's also been kind and gentle and our provider. That's the first reason we've made it 50 years. The second one is sitting right back there, putting up with this thing right here. I thank God for Betty. She's a sweetheart. But I know that when we were first married, um, we went to uh, our first Opportunity to serve the Lord in a full-time capacity. I was a youth and music minister. Uh, it was back in the days when the earth's crust was still cooling. If I re- remember that. Yeah, okay, yeah. And uh, <laughs> our salary was $6,500 a year. I left a school teaching job. I taught there one year. And I had probably one of the higher paying positions in the state as a new teacher. It was $8,800 a year, which was pretty good. And they were going to give me a raise the second year, and I was going to make almost $12,000. That's a significant increase. Matter of fact, the uh, principal or the superintendent, I forget who I talked to when I was leaving, but he said, You know, you're getting the highest increase of anybody in this school district. And I said, I'm leaving. (laughs) God, Put it on our hearts that we needed to do something else. So we left a $12,000 job for a $6,500 a year job. One of the first things that happened at that church was they had a big missions focus. And uh, so we moved there in September or land of August. And uh, in October, I think it was, they had their missions conference, eight days long, missionaries all week long. At the end of the week, they had this big focus on faith promise giving. You ever hear about that? Basically, it's the idea that what is God asking you to give beyond what you normally give to your church, okay, toward missions? And then you're going to trust God to provide that for you in this coming year. All right. So I'm on staff at this church, and the pastor, my boss, is talking about giving. I know he's going to know what I do, right? (laughs) But that wasn't why we did what we did. We believed what they said was true. And somehow out of that $6,500 a year, we took a faith promise that looked like beyond what we could do. But we trusted the Lord, not just saying, okay, Lord, provide that money and we'll give it when you give it. We trusted him by saying, we're going to give this much every week out of our money and trust you to continue to provide. By the way, I think that's a good way to go. Because I see some people saying, well, the Lord hadn't provided, so I haven't given anything. No, 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 no. All right. You know, God can't steer a parked car, right? So you got to keep driving, okay? And they don't get you where you need to go, all right? All right. So I can tell you that that year, He took care of us. We had a new baby, <laughs> all kind of stuff going on. The next year, guess what? We made a bigger faith promise. The next year, we made a bigger one. The next year, we made a bigger one. And I can tell you something that we've continued to give as the Lord has supplied. And he has continued to supply as we give. I'll take you to the New Testament. We're about out of time. Paul writes a couple things that I want to quote here uh, as we get toward the close. He writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 12, that our giving is acceptable if it is given eagerly And according to what we have, not to what we don't have. Well, you might say, Pastor, you just said, well, faith promise, you're trusting God. Well, I'm believing that I had it, but I was determining what I was going to do with it. (laughs) All right? I didn't make a crazy faith promise that was beyond our income, but I did take a step of faith. All right? I think that's what this is saying. God is not looking for you to fulfill some kind of requirement when it comes to giving. Our giving is acceptable if it's given eagerly and according to what you have, not to what you don't have. The Lord knows what you have. Now, I think most of us probably aren't giving according to what we have a lot of times. All right? We, uh, we think we have to have a lot more in order to really give. Well, I don't... You got something. Give from what you have. All right. And then secondly, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that a cheerful giver pleases God, right? A cheerful giver, not a rule-oriented giver. <laughs> I got to do this, all right? Or a habitual giver. I think there needs to be an awareness. I, many times I can remember writing a check and thinking, oh, are we really going to be okay? I, I could use this for buying more gas for my motorcycle or something, you know, but but, you know, as I get to that point, i got to say, that's not right. Come on now, man. Where's that thought coming from? You know what the truth is. Trust God. This is a demonstration of my trust in Him. And then I get cheerful because I know that I'm trusting Him and not me. So we need to work on that too. Reluctant giving. So it says to me, though, if you haven't worked that through, don't, don't give if you're reluctant. Pastor, you're saying don't give? Yeah, I'm just saying what the Bible says. But don't stay there either because you're going to be more miserable (laughs) if you're just trying to hang on to everything you got. Because cheerfulness not only leads to giving, but it also is the fulfillment of giving. So it's kind of a circle, a cycle. As you give, God blesses you. And as he blesses you, you give. (laughs) And it just keeps going. Matter of fact, it says, Paul, in some of the writings here that I just read, if you read on, it says that as you give, God is faithful and he will supply to you so that you might give more to meet the needs. So that's his promise. That's his promise. But I would say if you're not already actively giving out of a response to God's blessing, that you consider doing that. And a good place to start is 10%, by the way. You know, if we were to take your giving records, oh, pastor, don't do this. I don't know your giving records, by the way, okay? I don't know. So I don't think I'm saying something about you specifically. But I've often wondered, if I had access to all the giving records, and I was able to say to you, okay, so this is 10% of what you're receiving as income, man, you must be way under the poverty level. <laughs> Think about it. Okay, where are you in that whole process? Because I think generosity goes far beyond 10%, but it's a great place to start if you haven't already. In the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, God says to the people, test me in this. (laughs) Bring your 10% in and see if I don't overload you with my blessings. Wow, that's quite a challenge from God, isn't it? But we're beyond that, aren't we? We're in the New Covenant. But I think that freedom leads us to beyond it too. That the free giving comes from the fact that we realize the depth of God's blessing. We're like Abraham. We're to be like Abraham, to respond to blessing by giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, God will generously provide all you need. Did you hear that? How much? How much will God provide? All you need. I think he even gives us some want too, don't you? Doesn't promise that, but I've certainly seen him provide a lot more than I need he is good. We respond to his blessing. You will always have everything you need, it says, and plenty left over to share with others. (laughs) Great promise. Let's pray. Lord, you're good. You are so good. As we recognized the Weber's ministry here today, I know what we talked about from this passage is very relevant. We're we're in this building. We're in this building that people gave money to make happen. They stepped out in faith and believed that you would supply. I believe there could be many testimonies here this morning of that truth, that there were gifts that were given that was like, okay, this is beyond what I normally would do. But I'm responding to God's blessing, and I, I believe this is his time, and I'm stepping out, and, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's not a regret, because I know that you are true to your word, and that you continue to bless. May we, we, we be those that respond to your blessing with a generous heart for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 2000. Well, great to have you here today. Uh, if you are a new visitor with us, first time here, we have a special gift for you out on the uh, counter out there, a bag with some goodies in it. Uh, we'd ask it, if you would to fill out the card that's in there and let us know about you. Uh, we're glad you're here, and if we can answer any questions or be a help to you in any way, let us know. Um, hey, hope you have a great day today. It's a beautiful day outside. Uh, we're still in summer. It's still here. Okay, so enjoy it, and uh, God bless you. Take you. Take it easy.